to the Wyzetta Free Conversations podcast. In today's episode, Terry Esau, author, speaker, musician, and founder of Free Bikes for Kids, has a conversation with lead pastor Kevin Meyer about taking risks. Welcome, Terry. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you about risks. We've known each other for quite some time. I've actually been able to have, in some ways, a um, backseat uh, kind of look at some of the things that has happened in your life. And so I just wanted to mention that in our last conversation, we started this series um, called Let's Talk About Risk. Sarah Galligan, um, our conversations producer, interviewed Jake and Christy Veneta, who began the Breakfast Club for high school students that grew from a dozen kids to reaching thousands. And in that conversation, Jake Veneta said, sometimes the thing ahead of us seems so daunting or big or unknown but God, all God is asking us to do is to be obedient and then to trust him to take care of the rest. So Terry, you had one of those spiritual nudges that pushed you out of a life that was really good from an external perspective to take a risk. Tell us a little bit about well, you, that. You know, Kevin, I don't know why you have me on here because I'm kind of risk averse. <laughs> yeah, right. You're <laughs> one of the most adventurous guys I know. Uh, um, you know, it's interesting. I through my whole life, I've, I've kind of, ima- you know, people look at the Holy Spirit as a dove, mm-hmm. which I never really understood. I think of the Holy Spirit as a sharp elbow. Mm. And and our job as Christ followers is to have tender ribs okay. so that when the nudge hits us in the ribs, we feel it, first of all, and then we yeah. get a chance to act on it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like that's that's the adventure of life that we're called to is a life of tender ribs and nudges. And then, you know, we get to follow those nudges where they lead. So, so some people are listening and going, they're probably having one of these maybe in their life right now, but um, there's a newspaper article that I read that I thought was interesting. They said after a career of writing music for TV commercials for clients, including Target and McDonald's, Pepsi, Harley Davidson and Honda, Terry Esau, is promoting a new product, Faith, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, a journalist saying a new product. I'm not sure if that's how you would <laughs> want it put. But today, you're overseeing a charitable organization's free bike for kids that um, began in your garage and now is a national, I think even becoming an international organization um, that is reaching lots of kids through bike giveaways. So before we talk about this new product, Faith, that you kind of entered into, according to the journalist. Let's talk a bit about your career as writing music for TV commercials. Take us back to those days. What was the highlights? What did, what was that oh, like? I mean, it was, you know, I, I came into college having no idea what, did I, what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and my very first day of music theory class, my professor said, to the whole class, she goes, go home, write a jingle about milk, come back tomorrow and perform it for the class. My first day of college. Yeah. And I did that. I wrote a commercial, you know, a jingle about milk and didn't think much more of it until, you know, three and a half years later when I took a year off of college. And I was, I was actually teaching guitar lessons in two music stores, 55 guitar lessons a week. I spent all day teaching junior high boys how to play smoke on the water. And I was, I was within a millimeter of losing my mind. And I remembered back to this first day of college of writing a jingle for milk. 
And I just went out and I started, uh, first of all, I walked into ad agencies and said, hey, I can write jingles for your companies. And they, they said, well, what have you done? I said, well, in freshman Music Theory 101, I wrote a jingle for Milk. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it landed a lot of jobs right away. Yeah, they were so impressed. <laughs> uh, so after about a week of hitting ad agencies and striking out, I, I actually got a legal pad out. Remember legal pads? Yeah, sure. And I turned on the radio and I started, I, I listened to the radio all morning and I wrote a list of the companies that I thought had bad jingles. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I a prioritized little, little arrogant. Anyway. Yeah, right. Well, and I prioritized them and I, I decided the worst jingle was Menards. <laughs> <laughs> I know so, that one. Yeah. It's probably big, the best. Big money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I called them and said, I think you need help with your jingle. And they said, <laughs> we think we have the best jingle on the air. Exactly. Uh, so I'm, I ended up going down. I drove to Rochester because I said, you got to have three strikes before you're out, right? Yeah. So I drove to Rochester and I made deals with companies. I said, I'll go back to Minneapolis. I'll write a jingle for you. I'll record it. The only agreement you have to give me right now is that if I come back and play it for you and you love it, you'll negotiate a price with me. Yeah. So I found three companies that did that. I came up, recorded them. I went back, sold all three, and it was like the beginning of my career. Kind of the, the rest is history. You moved into it, and I know that um, had a real blessed career. I mean, obviously, you had Coast uh, Studio, and I'm not sure why it was Coast. Was it on the coast of a lake, or what? I'm not sure what no, that it, was about. It was because everybody in the ad business wanted to go to one of the coasts oh. to record a jingle. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to call my company the coast. And then I can say, you can go to the coast and be back in time for lunch, you know? Yeah. Well, I know that you have worked with a, a number of, of, of large corporations, as well as even people in the music career from uh, what is it, Amy Grant. I know you did some stuff in Prince's studio and other different things like that. Um, so we could talk about that, but I really want to get into the risk aspect of it. And um I just, uh, one thing I just want to ask, maybe some people would want to know, what are your couple of your favorite um, commercial jingles that you wrote? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I did a, the Target, uh, a Target Christmas campaign with Amy Grant. I did a Musicland thing with Alice Cooper. Yeah. Um, I did some Sesame Street stuff with Jim Henson and Frank Oz, which was really fun. And I, you know, I got to mix a tune with uh, Prince. You know what? I think it's really interesting. My favorite music tracks were the ones that never sold. <laughs> Once did, they said it's just way too out there and we're not going to do it? Well, it's really interesting. So I did a lot of commercials for Harley Davidson and, uh, and they asked me to come up with an idea once when they didn't give me any direction. And so I went in, because I, I look at Harley riders, they think of themselves, they think of Harleys like a religion, right? Yeah, yeah. So I came up with I, this idea with a theme called Harleluja. <laughs> And uh, and we did this uh, black gospel rocking thing with the steels, and it was it was smoking. I mean, it was one of the best things I think I ever did. And I went in and played it for him, and they looked at me like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> well, well uh, so so let's let's talk a little bit about. I mean, seriously, um, you had a great career. That what in the world caused you to go? I'm going to leave this all behind. I'm going to I'm going to take this risk. What was that all about? 
Well, there were multiple facets to that. I mean, the industry changed a lot. The music business changed, you know, through Napster and all of that kind of stuff. But then I, I don't have the world's greatest attention span. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. Um, and I had done it for like, you know, 25 years. And I was like, I just felt like I just, I just needed something new. And it was really weird how it happened, Kevin. I was, I was sitting at the piano one day and I was trying to write this piece. And the whole time I was trying to write this piece of music, I had a story that was going through my head uh, and I couldn't get this story out of my head. And so finally I got up from the piano. I went up, up the upstairs of my uh, recording studio and I sat down at, at my lap, well, it wasn't a laptop at the time. And I wrote the story. And as I started writing the words, I thought, whoa, notes are becoming words and melodies are becoming sentences and rhythm is becoming punctuation. And I mm. thought, you know, cause I was thinking, why, why should I write a story? I'm a music guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but all of a sudden I had this really weird realization that I'm kind of a storyteller. I, mm -hmm. I kind of used, you know, I told a story with my music and now I was telling a story with words mm -hmm. and I was still using the same, concept but i was using a different palette instead okay. of musical palette i was using you know literary palette sure sure and it so was, part of what happened was a discontent and dissatisfaction dissatisfaction and i felt like you know another thing that happened i was getting uh called to do uh, all these casino jingles and stuff like that yeah. and you know you you get called to do and herbicides and pesticides and you know i know farmers need those things. But at some point, I kind of realized I never get to decide what I promote. Mm. It's decided for me when the ad agency calls. And I thought maybe I should be more intentional about what I want to convince people of with my life mm -hmm. and with my stories. And so that's when I started writing these short stories that put God into an interesting relationship <laughs> with us. Uh, and through those metaphor uh, metaphorical and allegorical stories, I was able to paint, paint a picture of a God that loved us. And, and that, you know, that first story that I wrote that day became one of the stories in my first book. Okay. So you've written a number, a number of books now, and, and it was the first thing that led you into really with somewhat dissatisfaction, then, then a kind of a pull of, of God saying, maybe direct your message, even in a way where you were more intentional of where you're going to go with it. You wrote two books and one in particular, one surprised me and the other be the surprise. So why did you write those? Well, it, you know, so the first book was uh, blue collar God, white collar God, which was short stories. But then I don't know, I, I kind of thought, you know, uh, our faith, unless it becomes real and tangible, you know, it's still, it's, you know, if, a, if it's, if your faith is just theoretical, mm -hmm. um, it, it doesn't really touch your everyday life. It really doesn't, um, it doesn't enter in and it doesn't become who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I thought, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to wake up every day, pray, you know, I'm going to start my day with a three word prayer, 
surprise me, God, but not surprise me with a new Escalade or (laughs) whatever, but surprise me with whatever it is you want to bring into my life. And I decided I was going to keep a journal. And I know you're a journalaholic. Mm-hmm. You've been journaling for what? Your whole stinking no, life? Since college, I guess. So. Yeah. Well, I had never kept a journal before, and I've never kept a journal since. <laughs> <laughs> but for 30 days, I kept about a 250-page journal. Sure. And I wrote down everything that happened that, you know, every place where I saw God intersecting with my life. Okay. And it became a really interesting story, I think. I mean, I guess it became an interesting story enough that uh, Nav Press said we want to publish this. Right, right. Which, so, so here's, so, you, so I take this guy who is leaving this really productive career, takes a risk, and then writes really in a sense about risk, God every day, brings yeah. something into my life. It could be rather risky. And then you write a book be the surprise, kind of like you take the risk in someone else's life, right? And, right. and so you've done that. What was that like? Because through that time, it, and we're going to talk now in a moment about how God led you to free bikes for kids. That destination that God had for you was a series of steps. And, and sometimes people think, you know, I take the risk and it's either right away, you know, it's loss or gain, but yours was the process. And tell us a little bit about what that process is like to get where you're at. Boy, that's a hard question to answer because, because risk is, is something that, uh, you know, I think we all have personalities that might be, you know, more open to risk. And for me, um, there's a little bit of dissatisfaction, um, with, with status quo. And when, and that's part of my life, I don't, you know, if, if my life doesn't feel like it's moving towards something and that it feels like it's giving me meaning and purpose, then I think I must be off track somewhere, you know, and, and what I'm doing with my time, it has to match my passions and it has to match my gifts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm I'm probably doing something that's you know not going to impact anybody, including myself. Right. And that's why I think it was interesting when I was telling you about you know all of a sudden I realized there's another palette for telling stories. Sure. Sure. Called words. <laughs> right. Um, and and I just I think for me I I need a new challenge periodically in life. Otherwise, I feel like I'm. I'm just fading backwards. Um, I, and I know I, I really did not answer your question very no, well. No, because part I, of my question is um, you didn't you didn't say, okay, I'm going to leave this and do free bikes for kids. And I'm not saying this is the destination the way it sounds. It could be there's another one beyond this. But, but you left it and said, I'm going to take music and now use it in words. And God led you to a time of writing books and, and actually speaking at a number of places and, and sharing that way. Um, and my thought was, what's your advice to a person who's in that process? And, and you haven't, you don't know the big unknown, you're actually in it. And it's probably somewhat scary. I think of, and I, I think of John six, where at one point, Jesus, um, reminds the people that at some point, if they're going to really, really walk with him and really follow him, they need to eat his body and drink his blood, which is obviously a tough teaching to swallow. Uh, And the gospel writer, John states, people left Jesus in droves and he looked at his disciples. Are you going to leave as well? 
And their answer is, oh, we sold the farm and, and yeah. we put our trust in you, Jesus. You, you right. at times had to have those times where you went, man, I sold the farm. Was that your paraphrase, Kevin? That was my paraphrase. Sold the exactly farm? Right. It's the Meyer paraphrase. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, um, so just as in Jesus' day, it's a fear thing. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is such a strong motivator. Yeah. Um, or maybe I should say it's a strong inhibitor. Mm-hmm. Um, it it keeps us from following through on the the you know the elbow nudges. Yeah. It's you know because it's it really means nothing if you feel the nudge but you don't act on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say too, like you know when when God nudges us, it's like He's giving us the first paragraph of a novel. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're reading a novel, do you you read the you know do you read the first paragraph, put it away, get another book, read the first paragraph, put it away? No, you don't have any idea where the story goes. Right. And if if the Holy Spirit nudges us, and if we're afraid, going, I this is not what I was. This is not what I planned for this day, or this is not what I planned for this five year period of my life. Now what we've, we've read the first paragraph of a novel and we don't know the story that would have come out of it. Yeah. You know, so I think for me, there's, there's always been a curiosity to know, okay, if this is truly God, and I'll be honest with you, I've had nudges that were probably pride, that were probably my own, you know, whatever. Right. But there are times when I have felt the nudge and it was the Holy Spirit saying, Hey, what about this, Terry? Yeah. Now, if, if, if I would have just said, ah, that's a good idea, but I've got a solid music career going here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if I would have done that, I'd probably have a lot more money in the bank right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, life has been terribly interesting. And I think it is, there's an adventure that comes with following the nudges, feeling the nudge and then following the nudge and then reading to the next page, turning the page, turning to the next chapter. You know, as long as we stay in the story with God, I'll say that, you know, God writes us into his story and he writes his story into us. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we put the book down, we have no idea what story would have come out of it. Correct. Yeah. So I think fear is, is the greatest detriment to Christ followers actually getting to experience the life that God has planned for them. Yeah. And I can, I can see that. And when you just say that in the sense of, you know, the opposite in that in many ways is trust. And that's saying, God, you know what, here's my life, like a pen in your hand, start writing the story. And I'm um, so glad that I get to be a part of it. Um, you know, we could get into the whole thing of how do you know when it's a nudge or not? I'm sure people would love to hear that. Um, but uh, due to time and wanting yeah. to hear your whole story. Well, just, just to say to that, Kevin, is I don't know if we always know at first, yeah. but sometimes we, if you take the risk to take the first step that first action, all of a sudden, it might become clear to you whether it was you or it yeah. was God. Yeah. And so. I think God is big enough to be able to go, you know what? That's okay. I'm, you know, my, 
Yeah. I mean, when a little kid steps out and, and falls down, you don't you go, wow, that was really stupid. You know what I mean? You, you just, right. as a parent, you come around and I'm sure God says, man, I love the fact that you're seeking to exactly. follow me, right? Yeah, I think he wants us to be curious. Yeah. He wants us to curiously follow him. And whenever you do something out of curiosity, you know, they say curiosity killed the cat. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so let's go back. Chapter one was a career, and then you came to this point, and I think it's a good thing to understand. Sometimes God uses a holy discontent in some of the best circumstances to kind of begin to motivate us into, okay, how does my heart going to line up with where he's going? Chapter two was taking words and, and using them both in books and in talking in churches, and I know you were at all different kind of events where God used you there, but he moved you now to this third chapter. So let's talk about free bikes for kids. And, and I'd love to hear how that started, how the Holy Spirit um, nudged you. But before we do that, I just want people to have a little bit about what free bikes for kids is about. Um, I know that you have given away lots of bikes. You had one year in Minnesota alone where you gave away 9,000 used bicycles. Right. There was a, a Guinness World Record that you had set a couple of years prior to that of 5,000 stone bicycles. And so you blew that out of the water, right? right? It started with, what, how many in your garage, I think it was? How many bikes? Uh, well, our first year we did about 250 bikes. Okay. But, but you know, Kevin, that's, that's a nudge. That was a hobby. You know, I thought I was starting a two-week hobby. <laughs> and now we're, uh, what, 12 years later and we've given a, we're nearing a hundred thousand bikes given away. We're in 15 cities. Our, our national board just set a goal to be in a hundred cities by wow. 2025 and give away a million bikes. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, yeah. but um, you know, it could. Yeah. You know what I, what I think is really interesting in that is what you just said, and it really plays into taking a risk you just wrote a sentence or two. You were in a garage thinking this is a two-week thing. Exactly. And then God started writing more sentences and, and has added chapters to this. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the fun of the adventure of this thing is yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. And I don't know if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Sure. You know, I, there, there might be... You know, he, I always say that God doesn't for, you know, some people say if God closes a door, he opens a window or something like that. I don't, I don't know about all that stuff, but I, I have found that the way God moves me from one thing to another thing is he makes me restless with one thing. Okay. And so when I start to feel restless, I go, I better open, I better keep my ears open and my eyes wide open because I think God is beginning to make a change. Yeah. And, and make sure your arms are anywhere near your ribs so he can nudge you. That's right. But, <laughs> but you know, with the bike thing, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I was talking about how we have to do things we're passionate about. I've been a bikeaholic guy since I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a paper out when I was 10 or 12 years old because I got paid to ride my bike. Yeah. And then my brother and I would, uh, we would put on bike shows in Mountain Lake, Minnesota. We'd yeah. build ramps and we'd collect neighborhood kids and we'd make them lie down on the street and we'd see how many we could jump over. Yeah. Well, just, just a quick question. Um, you grew up in Mountain Lake. Where, where's the mountain? Uh, in that Southern Minnesota, right? Oh, it's really <laughs> funny. <Jeff. laughs> there is uh, our mountain, by the way. 
There is no mountain. Okay. And, okay. and, and on top of that, it's a man-made lake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you hail from Mountain Lake. But, you know, I have to say, when, when you told me one time, not only you did all that bike stuff as a kid, you in what, your senior year, I, I mean, I, this to me is pretty amazing. You came to your parents and, and told them between, you're going to do what? Yeah, it was between my junior and senior year. Okay. My buddy and I, the day that school let out in spring, I was 16 years old. We got on our bikes <laughs> and we rode to the West Coast and back, you know, and it was, uh, I mean, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, this is like one of the greatest summers ever. <laughs> oh, your parents, your parents, I don't know if they're risk takers. They were probably praying. They're on their knees. You probably um, really helped them grow in their faith quite a bit. Yeah. And it's funny, we got to the West Coast and we actually ran out of money. So we actually we had to get a job for two weeks to make enough money so we could come back home oh, and man. have money to eat. Oh, so I want to get back real quickly. One of the things that makes this thing work for Free Bikes for Kids is you have an army of volunteers who clean and sort and repair bikes. Um, I, I think it takes at least 250,000 volunteer hours in just Minnesota alone, right, for that to bike yeah. giveaway? It's crazy how many volunteers. Uh, I think last year we probably had four to five thousand volunteers in Minnesota. Uh, you know that all participated in our process. Well, let's but, let's let's talk about that. Before you do that, I just want to say one thing that's always surprises me is how lean financially you guys are. I mean, most people say how much of a dollar is given to administrative and all other stuff. I mean, you guys um, run in all these cities and are moving internationally and doing this stuff. And I, I think what's your budget around a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Yep. So, yeah. That, and that indicates that I don't get paid well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, but the reality is you're doing good. So yeah. let's talk about that. Cause like um, the budget used to be my salary, for <laughs> 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 but um, yeah. So it's, you know, part of the deal, though, is that we believe, I mean, we've had an independent audit done of our organization that um, we are about 94% of every dollar contributed goes directly into putting a kid on a bike. That's unheard of when you right. think of charitable organizations. Yeah, they figure if you're in the 70% range, you're doing really well. Right. So we like that about our organization. And part of that is we've created a very unique model that is not year round in each city. It's seasonal. Yeah. Free bikes for kids is something that, that I'm really passionate, you know, cause I said, I'm a bikeaholic. I call yep. my bike, my carbon fiber therapist <laughs> because, because I can be having a horrible day and I get on my bike and I go for a ride and I'm, you know, a hundred yards into it. And it's like, I'm like five years old again. Yeah. So let's, yeah. let's, let's tie this back down um, to faith. Uh, you're not, you know, handing out a bicycle and giving a Bible verse at the same time or something like that. And I, I don't mean that in a uh, negative way. I, I just mean in the sense that how God has led you in this, this is not an overtly Christian charity. I know that God has given you a platform um, what's your thoughts on, on the fact that, you know, how God has led you to do good? Well, let me tell you a, a quick story about that. Mm -hmm. So when I started this thing, it was just me and my cycling buddies. And, and a lot of them were Christians. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, I'd say probably most of them were. Um, and after, you know, our, our first two years, it was a hobby. So it was, you know, it was casual and, 
And on the third year, it's like, okay, now we're at 1500 bikes and we were talking about forming a nonprofit. So we're sitting there in our very first board meeting talking mm -hmm. about what should our bylaws say? <laughs> and one of the board members said, um, well, I think we for sure need to say in our bylaws that we're a Christian organization. There was a pause, you know, that everybody looked at me like, okay, what does Terry think of this? And I said, you know, and this may, you know, people may disagree with this and they may be right, but I said, I don't think we should do that for several reasons. One is anybody can say they're a Christian organization, but unless you act Christ-like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just words. Mm -hmm. So, so let's not do that. Secondly, right now we have people who are Republicans, Democrats, black, white, we have, um, we have Muslims, we have Christians, we have Buddhists, everybody comes and they, they help us do this mission together. And I got to sit and work on bikes across from people of different faith and get into great conversations about it. And I love that. Yeah. So uh, in many ways, it's given you a platform to be able to share your faith and for other believers who are part of that. Yeah. And I, I remember at, uh, we always have a thank you, a huge party at the end of it for all the volunteers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would always pray mm -hmm. at that thing and, you know, thank God for allowing us to be part of this mission. And it was amazing. The people who I knew who were atheists, who would come up and thank me mm -hmm. for saying that prayer and making them part of this thing. So it, the other thing, Kevin, is like, we're in such a polarized world now. Right, right. Where, you know, it's, everything is binary. It's, it's you know, it's red, blue, black, white, you right. know, whatever. There aren't that many things in the world right now where people can come together of differing ideas and ideologies and beliefs and do something good together. Right. I love that about Free Bikes for Kids is that we can bring all kinds of people together and we can do something good together. So the really good is, and I'll have you share this in a moment and kind of rewrapping this up in a moment because I'd love for you to share a story or so about kids that receive this bikes and kids who couldn't afford it. But one of my favorite New Testament books, which really um, Paul wrote to Titus, which isn't really a book, it's a letter because it's just about a couple pages in length, um, of 46 verses in the whole letter. It's 46 verses. There's a call to the followers of Jesus again and again to do good. He was asking the people in, in, in Titus who he was in Crete in the area where he was working to make your life such that it's attractive. He says, be one who loves to do good. Those who claim to know God, by their actions deny him are unfit for doing anything good in everything set an example by doing what is good remind people to be ready to do whatever is good and the last i'll just say is he says this is a trustworthy saying and i want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in god may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good so tell us some of the good that you've seen well first let me say um you know it's really easy for us as Christians to say, you know, we we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But love that has no tangibility is pretty hard to decipher. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
you know, love just can't be talk. It, it has to have some action to it. Mm-hmm. So I look at it this way. When we give a kid a bike, we are tangibly loving that kid. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of, I mean, there's so many stories, but I remember one, uh, one lady, uh, woman called us and said, there's a, my son uh, is part of this Boy Scouts troop and they're doing a bike trip. My son doesn't have a bike. He can't, he can't participate. And it said, well, we can solve that. Mm-hmm. You know, so we gave him a bike and I didn't hear anything for a while, you know, and all of a sudden I get this uh, letter or email. I don't remember what it was. And she says, um, my son went on this bike trip. They rode 20 miles. They camped overnight. Then a bus came to pick them up, um, take them all back. And he, she said, my son asked the scoutmaster, can we ride back? And he did. Mm-hmm. And he was so excited about his new bike. Yeah. I've, I've had people who have come up to me and said, I prayed this morning that God would show up and that some way there would be a benefit to my kids. Mm-hmm. And we heard about this bike thing, you know, and there, there are people out there that are suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're trying to put food on the table. So if food is your priority, a bike is not a priority. Right, right. But a bike, it's not just a toy. It's something that can make a kid healthy. Yeah. And it can take them places, not just literally, but metaphorically. It can bring opportunities. A kid can go to an after-school thing and get involved with something because they have transportation now. So, you know, I got to say, Terry, one of the things too, in this time of COVID, you can't even hardly buy a bike these days. I mean, no. I mean, so, so in one sense, uh, God has put you guys in a position to be able to really help a lot of different, especially kids right now. Yeah. And we're really, I mean, I'm talking with the uh, California Department of Public Health right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've started a program and they want to see free bikes for kids all across California because they know they have, they have a huge, there's an obesity problem. There's diabetes. There's so many problems that kids have now because they're becoming sedentary. Sure. Um, and it's, you know, so it's, it's a way to make a kid healthy and give them a a better life. So God took you from a really successful career into a place where you were starting to just write books and you were kind of in a place till he brought you here. Um, Let's just talk in conclusion, just words of advice you might have to someone who's listening going, man, I'm feeling a nudge. Uh, Words of advice to someone who goes, man, that's you. You're really adventurous, but that's not my nature. What, any thoughts? Well, there are all kinds of different levels of adventure. (laughs) You know, we, mm-hmm. we all look at, at some things and go, okay, my, my view of an adventure is skydiving or my view of an adventure is um, saying hi to somebody in a coffee shop. You know? right. right. But um, we don't know what it is. And I think, I think the Holy Spirit knows. Right. He knows us well enough to go, I'm going to nudge you in an area where you will have something to offer in this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I look at my life and go, wow, what a strange trajectory. Mm-hmm. 
I never would have guessed. I mean, first of all, I probably never would have guessed I'd be in the jingle biz. I never would have guessed <laughs> I would write books. I never would have guessed. It never crossed my mind to write a book, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. 20-some years in the music business. And I never thought of it once. And then to go out, and I traveled around the country speaking in churches. Mm -hmm. That never was something on my list. And then this bike thing. And now we're, I actually started an, uh, I filed for a nonprofit for free guitars for kids. Oh no, what are you doing now? So I think we're going <laughs> to, we're going to start another non, well, we've already started another nonprofit <laughs> to give guitars away. Okay. So, um, so that's, that's going to happen. Um, and that might be the next chapter. I don't know. Sure. Sure. It may fail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of figure you got to give things a shot, you know, take a shot because it makes life so much more interesting and you might not make as much money and you probably will fail more than once. A lot of people probably looked at Jesus life. Yeah. Just, just imagine what, uh, what the people thought of the people following Jesus too, you know, like, man, can you believe, I mean, people don't realize that. Peter, James, and, and John, and Andrew, and, and, and many of those came from, uh, it was a large, large fishing establishment um, in that area. Um, they were, they were um, you know, not rabbis, they were, but very, really wealthy businessmen in many ways. So um, I think we look like fools at times when we take a risk and, and follow Jesus, and we, we fall. Peter fell many times, put his foot in his mouth. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I'm not sure that God is sitting up there going, wow, you really screwed up there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you, do you look at your kids or your grandkids and when they do something, go, wow, what a loser. You yeah. really screwed up. Especially when they're, they're stepping out and trying something. Mm -hmm. Like learn, let's say learning to ride a bike. You know, your kid is trying to learn a bike and they fall over. You go, wow. I guess you don't know how to ride a bike. You better just let that go. Yeah. No, it's like we encourage. And I think God is the same way. He's a big parent up there going, that's okay. That's okay. You fell, but you, yeah. you're going to learn this and it's going to be great. And so God's and cheering we, you on. He's and just we're saying, learning and yeah. we learn through our failures yeah. as well. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I got to say, um, one of the things to pay attention to when it comes to risk is discontent and how God is working in your present situation. This idea of it's okay to fail, um, that God loves you. And is even if you, you failed by stepping out where maybe he wasn't calling you, it's still okay. God loves you. And, and then another thing is just that I learned today is I didn't realize this because I've always read in the new Testament, but you know, the, the spirit descended on Jesus as a dove, but now I'm reading from what you had to say. I'm, I'm looking for where it will be in the Bible that 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 he's like a, a, a elbow into the side or something like that. But a sharp uh, elbow, okay. sharp elbow. Okay. Well, Terry, I just want to thank you so much um, for you taking time and sharing with us. I know you're really busy, but it's just been a joy to be able to get a chance to hear how God's worked in your life. Hey, you're a good friend, and uh, we've been friends for a long time. And this is going to be. Uh, this is just another part of our story. So yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. Um, I, I love this podcast. I've yeah. really been enjoying uh, what you've done so far on that. So and I'd encourage you to keep doing it. Thank you. Well, we want to have conversations that challenge people that talk sometimes about the tough stuff and sometimes talk about the stuff that we just need to hear. And this is one of the things I think we need to hear as believers is risk. So thank you for sharing. 
You've been listening to the Wyzetta Free Conversations podcast. For more information about Wyzetta Free Church, please check out wyzettafree.org or download our app available on the App Store or on Google Play.